Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. It's a myth that audiences are looking for something brand spanking new when they go to the movies. Let's face it, if a story hasn't been told by now after thousands of films, TV series and video games, it's a good bet it's not worth telling. There's a reason why the same story ideas continue to be trotted out. What people do want, though, is freshness. By all means, tell me a familiar story, but give it a twist. An interesting character, say, or a distinctive tone. This is what it takes if you want to succeed. Hey. Goodness knows the basic plot of David Finch's The Killer has been around for years, probably centuries. The ruthless assassin out to avenge a loved one turns up in John Wick, the old Death Wish series, and just about every film Liam Neeson's made in the past ten years, right back to The Count of Monte Cristo. You are wealthier than any man I have ever heard of. What do you want to buy? Revenge. Ironically, the one franchise that didn't use the old Lone Avenger storyline was Marvel Comics Avengers. They just like the name, I think. Well, this week, three films that take familiar plots and run with them, though occasionally in the wrong direction. I volunteer as tribute. Our tributes, Peter Malark and Katniss Everdeen. They just want a good show. That's all they want. There's 24 of a scale. Only one comes out. 2012's hugely successful Hunger Games, about a deadly reality TV show in a dystopian future, featured Jennifer Lawrence in a star-making role as Katniss Everdeen. So what do you do after a successful franchise ends? You fire up a prequel, apparently, whether it makes sense or not. I'm Lucky Flickerman. First ever host of the Hunger Games. Enjoy the show. Five, four, enjoy the show. Three, two, enjoy the show. Run. Enjoy the show. Do prequels ever work, apart from financially, of course, particularly ones that ask, how did the villain get to be so bad? They've tried it with Star Wars' Darth Vader. They even tried it with Lord of the Rings' Sauron. But variations on Satan, the early years, will generally run into a certain lack of sympathy in the audience, you'd think. There's a natural goodness built into us all. We can step across that line into evil or not. A more promising, based on an idea premise, comes from eccentric English writer-director Emerald Fennell of Promising Young Woman fame. Saltburn is inspired by decades of gothic romances and thrillers set in the stately homes of England. Oliver, 
I have a complete and utter horror of ugliness ever since I was very young. I don't know why. I mean, because you're a terrible person. No, not the cosy world of Downton Abbey or Jeeves and Worcester. Saltburn borrows from the jaded toffs of Brideshead Revisited, Rebecca, and that favourite Ealing black comedy, Kind Hearts and Coronets. At least horror maestro Eli Roth is only competing with himself. The table is set. The festivities have begun. What an uninvited guest has arrived. And this year... There will be no leftovers. When Quentin Tarantino made his tribute to trashy films, Grindhouse, he invited some friends to make a few trailers for made-up movies. Roth's contribution was Thanksgiving, which he liked so much he turned it into the real thing. But first, let's go back to when the Hunger Games were almost as cheap and nasty. Mr. Snow, after everything you've seen out there in the world, what are the Hunger Games for? The Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is set 60 years before the events of the first four movies. Which means, of course, that the familiar characters of the mostly teenage franchise weren't born yet. All but one, Donald Sutherland's evil president, Coriolanus Snow. Are you, are you coming to the tree? The Hunger Games, they're to punish the districts. Those tributes don't have a choice. Right now, Snow's a callow youth, and the Hunger Games themselves are also a mere shadow of what they'll become. It's all a bit low rent in the arena, unlike the casting of the game's creators, Viola Davis and Peter Dinklage, chewing the scenery as the Lethal Events showrunners. I am honoured to introduce to you the creator of the Hunger Games themselves, Dean Casca Highbottom. It's a bit depressing watching two hitherto favourite actors stooping to over-salted ham, which both Viola and Peter do mercilessly here. Mind you, what else can you do when your character names are, respectively, Dr Volumnia Gall and Dean Casca Highbottom? There has been a change this year. As a mentor, Mr Snow, your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. Young Snow comes from poor and hungry stock. He's clearly a scholarship boy, like Napoleon, and has wangled a role mentoring a couple of tributes, kids who drew the short straw and were drafted into the Hunger Games. What does my mentor do besides bring me roses? I do my best to take care of you. You really want to take care of me in that arena? Start by thinking I can actually win. Since the games, a fight to the death between 24 kids from 12 districts, are a Roman-style bloody spectacle, you'd think that mentors would be a bit redundant. But you clearly haven't seen enough survivor-type TV contests. And Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is as much about the birth of a hit TV show as it is about snow turning bad. We're live! Smile. It's why we have teeth. 
Imagine it was your name that they pulled. Strange things didn't happen here. I just want to know that somebody still cared about me, that I was still of value. This year, it's decided to give the jaded audiences someone to root for. From now on, just as much time will be spent building a fan base for the contestants. In particular, star performer Lucy Gray Baird, played by West Side Story's Rachel Zegler. Welcome to the Capitol. You look like you shouldn't be here. I shouldn't, but I'm your mentor. A rebel. I am going to get you out of here. Rachel's superior musical chops mean she can lean into the music that always underpinned the Hunger Games. Unlike Jennifer Lawrence, who famously was terrified of singing, though it did give her rendition of The Hanging Tree rather a touching quality, Rachel sings like a songbird. Thinking you're in control, thinking you'll change me, maybe rearrange me, think again if that's your goal. Snow is played by English actor Tom Blythe, who wrestles with two conflicting roles, young lover and villain-in-waiting. The first Hunger Games had the benefit of one simple plot. 24 kids are chucked into a giant arena. Only one can survive. What happens in there? Fueled with the terror of becoming prey. See how quickly we become predator? See how quickly civilization disappears? But this one is saddled with confusing extra elements. Aside from the lessons in showbiz aspect, there's the odd couple pairing of Snow and Lucy Gray and the added question, should we care? Do we want an appealing singer-songwriter to get tangled up with the man who will be Coriolanus Snow? Good luck with that poor little songbird. Where is she? It's a mystery. And mysteries have a way of driving people mad. The best thing in the film is the music. Rachel Zegler, of course, but also some crack acoustic musicians, including the great Molly Tuttle on guitar. But it's no substitute for Katniss Everdeen's appealing grit and decency. The basic idea here, watching snow slowly turning into unsavoury slush, was never going to carry a a two-and-a-half-hour movie, particularly to an audience hungry for the original Hunger Games. It's the things we love most that destroy us. Writer-director Emerald Fennell started out as an actress playing upper-class types like Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. But it all changed with the revenge fantasy Promising Young Woman, multiple awards including an Oscar for Fennell's script and some heated arguments around a lot of water coolers. He's ghastly. Why are you friends with him? Dark not attractive, and his parents are drug addicts. I can't uh-uh. actually understand. And here he is now. We were just talking about Don't you. Don't be silly. Farley, you just make up the most awful things. Of course we weren't. Her new film, Saltburn, takes on the English upper class, but the tone is strangely similar. Emerald Fennell seems to tap into a set she knows very well. Oxford, country houses, cool Britannia during the Blair Britpop years, and also into a particular genre of English novel. Oh, oh nice tux. Thank you. Wow, it's a rental. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
The English have always had a fascination with the indiscreet charm of the aristocracy. It's reflected in a long line of stories about outsiders trying and generally failing to be admitted. Rebecca, Jane Eyre, Brideshead Revisited, of course, and latterly the added villainy of the talented Mr Ripley. Saltburn borrows from them all. You're not leaving, Saltburn. I don't think I'll ever go home again. We meet the decidedly non-you Oliver Quick as he arrives at Oxford. His classmates qualified for the ruling class finishing school by dint of money and connections. But Oliver had to rely on hard work and scholarships. He's the outsider gazing at the likes of Felix Catton with envy. Until one day... You all right? Yeah, I've got a flat tyre. Take my bike. Hey, that is so kind. Thank you. I'm sorry I don't know your name. I'm, uh, I'm Felix. Oliver. Oliver. <laughs> Oliver, I love you. I love... Yeah. I love you. All right, cheers, Ollie. When he's able to do the impossibly glamorous Felix a good turn, Felix invites him for drinks with his A-list friends. And suddenly, to his surprise, Oliver finds himself accepted, vouched for by his new best friend. I'll um, pay back tomorrow. I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Thank you, It's light years away from Oliver's tragically disadvantaged background. He's essentially homeless these days. Shocked, Felix insists he come to stay for the summer. Stay at the family's ancient piles, Saltburn. My parents, they've got problems. What kind of, what do you mean problems? I don't think I'll ever go home again. Well, why don't you come home with me? Come to Saltburn. Felix is played, surprisingly, by an Australian actor, Jacob Elordi. Oliver is another bit of stunt accent work, Irish actor Barry Keegan playing Liverpudlian. Ollie arrives and faces the family. Mr Quick. Wow. And here he is now. Oh, what beautiful eyes. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, I told you he wasn't a minger. Oh, but darling, you're kind about everyone. You can't be trusted. And they certainly catch your attention. None of the cattens seem to work as such. They simply recline in the luxury of their astonishing home and in their spare time they collect people. Like Oliver, this year's good cause, according to Sister Venetia. I think I like you even more than last year's one. You're so, um... So what? Real. Sir James, Richard E. Grant is all teeth and glib catchphrases, while Lady Elspeth is a dream part for the always brilliant Rosamund Pike. And what I particularly loved about her, and the rest of the characters too, is how specific the period of Saltburn is. I think it's even hotter than last year. Didn't think that was possible, but here we are again. It's hotter than Barbados, apparently. Barbados! I can believe it, darling. Honestly, I don't think I've ever been hotter in my life. This isn't 20s Downton or 40s Agatha Christie. This is those characters updated to the 1990s and 2000s. Everyone seems to be reading Harry Potter and watching Seth Rogen comedies like Superbad. And Elspeth's background is pinned as soon as she name-checks Jarvis Cocker and Common People. But then, of course, Common People came out and everybody thought it was written about me, which was completely mortifying and ridiculous. I mean, I barely knew Jarvis. What? 
But she came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. It couldn't have been me. I've never wanted to know anything. Also in the house are minor Catans like Cousin Farley, Archie Medekwe as the one-man cynical Greek chorus, and the anything-but-cynical poor dear Pamela, a heartbreaking cameo from Carrie Mulligan. Daddy always said I'd end up at the bottom of the Thames. So far, so good. I don't know what I'd do without Elsbeth. She really saved me. Don't bang on about it, Pamela, darling. You know we're delighted to have you for however long it is you mean to stay. Forever? Saltburn is clearly told by someone who knows this world inside and out. And then, as she did with Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennell takes great pleasure in kicking the entire edifice into the moat. The last 20 minutes will either elicit the reaction, wow, or the less enthusiastic, hang on a minute. This place... You know, it's not for you. I thought I was part of the first group, but as time passed, I had my doubts, even though, or because, I'd been rather enjoying the film until that moment. That said, Saltburn is undeniably the movie Fennell set out to make, a poison pen letter to the English upper class. It's what they used to describe in Saltburn's illustrious predecessors as a curate's egg. I assure you, parts of it are delicious. Anything else I should know about? No, no, just be yourself. I love you. It's relaxed, I promise. Whenever I'm faced with a film like Eli Roth's blood-spattered Thanksgiving, I feel I should point out I'm hardly the ideal person to go to it, let alone comment afterwards. It's a horror film, not my favourite genre, and one that gleefully relishes the endless slaughter aspect of it. I've got plenty to be thankful for My needs are small I buy them all at the five and ten cent store On the other hand, people do like this stuff and Eli Roth himself turned out to be an affable, amusing chap when I interviewed him a few years ago. He describes his films as date movies and that no one's keen to go home alone after seeing one. Oh, I've got plenty to be thankful for And I was quite interested in Thanksgiving, which I know next to nothing about, apart from it being a big family holiday in the States, featuring turkey, pumpkin pie, and people dressing up as 17th century pilgrims. I used to love this town. Until what happened that night. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and I'm tired of pretending like everything is normal, and it's not. I want things to go back to normal, too. Well, it turns out that Thanksgiving is part of another time-honoured tradition, the Cheapo B-Movie. It features rising stars like Nell Vallack, you may remember her in the Disney TV show Big Shot, Jalen Thomas Brooks from that well-known series Henry Danger, and an actress who may want to fire her agent, who named her Karen Cliché. This is weird. We're all tagged, and our names are at the table. But why us? And there's always one familiar face in these films, in this case, TV veteran Patrick Dempsey, long-time heartthrob in TV soap Grey's Anatomy. He plays Sheriff Eric in the Massachusetts town of Plymouth. 
show some enthusiasm. Thanksgiving is an institution here. Plymouth is where the whole Thanksgiving thing kicked off, I gather, when the local Native American tribe saved the Pilgrim Fathers from starvation. A slightly later tradition is when the entire town goes shopping mad on Black Friday, shortly after Thanksgiving. No, 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 no! Someone's out for revenge, and they're turning it into a sick holiday game. Last year's Black Friday had been a bloodbath, literally. Inflamed by the prospect of free waffle irons, there was a riot. People were killed, but no one was brought to justice. (laughs) But someone, some crazy serial-killing nutjob, plans to inflict his own form of justice on the people he blames for last year's tragedy. And he clearly intends to do it at the Thanksgiving parade. The longer this goes, the more twisted it gets. The weapon he's using is straight off a Thanksgiving table. I don't want to spend my life looking over my shoulder. We need to stop him. To add insult to injury, Mr Thanksgiving makes sure that every murder uses holiday-specific gadgets and gimmicks. But it makes you wonder, is Thanksgiving a pointed commentary about the perils of the consumer society? Or is it simply a gratuitous wallow in splatter for its own sake? Well, there's writer-director Eli Roth now. Let's ask him. Growing up, I dreamed of writing a slasher movie that would be like Scream or Halloween. One of these guessing who the killer is, something that's incredibly scary, that's also fun with fantastic kills. And Oh my God. This is it. Cover that body! I think we all knew that anything Eli Roth made was unlikely to have education and improvement on its mind. Thanksgiving, which started out as a joke Z-grade trailer for the joke Z-grade movie Grindhouse, was actually better, certainly funnier, in its two-and-a-half-minute form. It is going to be a very happy Thanksgiving. Let's see. Still, I learned a thing or two about Thanksgiving etiquette. The tagline for the movie is still, this year there'll be no leftovers. And I discovered that on the day, lots of people like to wear a John Carver mask in honour of the lead pilgrim father. So, as you can see, not a complete waste of time, which is certainly something to be thankful for. And in that spirit of counting your blessings, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.